Some people going outside, some people coming inside. Usually I try and make a quick estimate how many people go out and how many people come in. At the moment, it's, I'm at a loss. More people have gone out than come in. Maybe my charisma's not working today. Maybe I'll spend it all in Hong Kong and Singapore. <laughs> okay, yes, a few more coming in. But of course many people actually watch these talks on online. So many people actually go overseas, oh, I'll watch you online. Which is very wonderful that we can share all of these talks. And online it's much easier because if you're watching at home online, if you don't like it, you can always delete. But here you're not allowed to delete me. You're stuck with me for the whole 45 minutes. So, here we go. Ah, I do have a fan. <laughs> oh, it doesn't work. Yay! Right. Okay. So, uh, these talks on a Friday night, as I often say, we don't try and plan them, we just let them happen. And it's just, you know, people say some things just beforehand or the last hour or two and it's just an obvious topic which keeps coming up and up and up and up. And the one today is, you know, the old one about stress. I don't know why people are stressed out. What are you stressing out about? Can't you? This is your weekend. You don't have to work. I do. <laughs> and I've just come back from 11 days just working my butt off in Hong Kong. I shouldn't have any butt left after all the hard work I do. But it's still there. My nose to the grindstone. You know, she should be flat by now. And always accepting all these offers. I just say that as soon as you come back, you, know, you have to just uh, get some physiotherapy on your arm because people are always twisting my arm to do this and to do that. But, <laughs> oh, come on, relax. Because a lot of times that you understand that you, know, you should be stressful, the amount of work you do, but you don't have to be. The stress has got nothing to do with how much work you have. It does nothing to do with all the problems you have in your life. It's nothing to do with all of this. It's not the world which is stressful. It's just the way we look at it. This is a wonderful thing which, you know, a basic teaching and understanding you can learn. It's not the world is out to get you. It's just that sometimes we don't understand it. We react in a way which just causes things to be worse. So, instead of learning just to overreact to life, because that's like an inflammation. An inflammation, you know, either of the immune system, or an inflammation because you have a wound, an inflammation of your head because you know, somebody said something you don't like, or your expectations don't be met, or people keep shouting at you and criticizing you, all of those things it's an overreaction to life. So we learn, hopefully in places like this, just how, number one, to overcome stress, lower your expectations. Simple things. When you go over to, well, one of the places I was over in Hong Kong, they're talking about all the children committing suicide in these universities, because you know this is next to China in Hong Kong, and it's a very, very demanding culture, trying to get jobs, trying to survive. And if you think you live in a stressful environment in Perth, this is like heaven compared to the stresses which people sometimes have to deal with in those countries. At least we have space. At least we have a beach, many beaches, you know, in a place like Perth. But in some of these places, oh, it's just really, really tough. Why? So first of all, it's because everybody wants, you know, you have to succeed in life. You have to get somewhere in life. You have to be somewhere in life. That's what people think. 
especially in the Chinese culture where your parental expectations are very high and you do have this idea of filial piety, you just want to look after your parents but sometimes we don't know how to achieve that. So, I was just saying that some of the some of the experiences which I remembered growing up, one of those experiences which I haven't really mentioned that much, all these memories keep coming back every now and again. You know that when I was about 11 years, no, 10 or 11 years of age, you know, in my primary school, I managed to get on the school football team. And I was so proud of getting on the school football team, playing on a Saturday morning. And when I told my dad, I'm on the school football team, he said, oh, wonderful, when you're playing Saturday mornings, he said, oh, I have to work on a Saturday morning. And for little 11-year-olds, you're so crestfallen. When you got on the school team, it was only a school football team, primary school, but you felt really something. And your dad couldn't come to see you. Oh, that was so disappointing. But he had work to do. So you can imagine my delight when you'd already started playing the soccer game, the kickoff had already happened. And I turned around and there was my father. He was on the touchline cheering me on. Oh, that meant so much to me. And then I asked him after the game, said, how come you managed to come here? I thought you had to work. And he said, yes, I did have to work. But I, you know, he was always very sick. So I told my boss, the doctor had asked me to have a series of injections every Saturday morning. <laughs> he lied. He wasn't a very honest man, but he was so kind. <laughs> and I'll give him that. <laughs> you know, he was putting his job at risk to see his son play football. And that meant so much to me. And that was the kindness, the education which I got from him. Disability to sacrifice because being with your family is so important. But some of us think, oh no, we've got to get a really good education. And if, and if you don't pass those exams, then you have tuition, extra homework, keep, keep pushing for the academic achievements. And so, you know, we just do things all upside down. Do you really need academic achievements to get anywhere in life? Look at me, I've got lots of academic achievements and I haven't got anything in life. I live in a small cave, I haven't got a house, I haven't got a car, I don't have any holidays. Honestly, I don't have holidays. When I go to Hong Kong, it's teach, 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 work, work, work. I don't sort of, you know, have any, any superannuation to worry about. You know, if I lost my job in the Buddhist society of West Australia, I'd be on the street. I've got no health insurance, got nothing, except beautiful memories of a kind father, kind friends, kind people, kind monks, kind kids. <laughs> Thank you. And that is my inheritance. And so sometimes when we wonder about the stresses in life, we get stressed out because we're, we're searching for the wrong things in life. You know, we sometimes we, we should stop every now and go, what do you really want? A little question like that. Right now, what do you want in life? You want to be rich? Ah, come on, that's never going to happen. And if you are rich, and that's not, that is sometimes people saying, oh, I win the lottery, then I can... I can do this and go there, I can pay off all my debts, I can just... You know what they say? They say, Ajahn Brahm, you know that you've got powers. I know you've got powers, so just know a few numbers, that's all I want. <laughs> Powerball. <laughs> and then sometimes they ask for these things. And I've got to be really, really careful. Because I don't know what it is. I don't know why, but sometimes when good monks, they forget to keep I did this, this, what was it, this blessing once. A friend of mine here, he said, it's a friend of a friend, one of the people who came here very often, he's moved out of uh, Perth now. He said one of his friends was opening up a small business. Can I come and bless the business for him? 
And of course, you know, just a blessing is just, just giving you extra energy, you know, making you feel good. Just like, you know, the, you're on the, the grounds of the football stadium or the cricket pitch and you cheer on your team. Just like my father cheered me on when I was playing soccer. That meant a lot to me. That made, lifted up my spirit. So I decided to go and chant for this business. But, you know, I do get very busy sometimes and sometimes I forget to ask, what type of business is it? And this was a lottery store. I won't say which, which uh, shopping center this was in. But I went there, they're just opening up first time. And I really gave it a big full blessing. Ajahn Brahm superpower. And it was only about a year later, two years later, I read in the West Australian Saturday edition, because I used to get the Saturday paper here to find out what's going on. And there was a big article about this. The most successful lottery outlet in Australia. And I realized, oh my goodness, that's the one that I blessed. I better not bless anymore. Otherwise. <laughs> but when people do get rich, what do you do with the wealth? It's just, a lot of times you know that wealth destroys your happiness. It doesn't actually just make you more happy. I have lived, I have visited, it's part of my job, I live an interesting life as a monk. Sometimes you go and see these incredibly wealthy people, politicians, CEOs. Oh, the last time I went, when I was in Hong Kong, go to LinkedIn. So now I've been to LinkedIn, Facebook, Google. What else is there? There must be a few others which I'm supposed to do. Sorry? Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. No, tw isn't Twitter part of... I know that um, Donald Trump uses uh, Twitter a lot, too much, but you know, it is tweetable. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, very good. <laughs> Bad jokes rock because <laughs> they're so stupid. But anyway, that go to all these places, meet all these interesting people, and what happens... Now, is sometimes some of these people are mega wealthy, billionaires. You know, once I was, I was at Parliament House in, in Canberra, a state dinner with Queen Elizabeth II. Wow. And I went to the toilet like you have to do, in the men's toilet, in the urinal next to me was Lachlan Murdoch. And I thought, oh, I should have brought a donation envelope for the Buddhist Society of Western <laughs> Australia. <laughs> but I didn't have one with me. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so um, you meet all this, and there's one fellow I just remember, just going to give him a blessing. And his mansion, it was over in Kuala Lumpur somewhere, I won't say which guy this is. I went to his mansion, and there were guards with machine guns at the gate. You know, he was a private person, just a tycoon. Guards at his gate, huge, uh, huge walls, CCTV, oh, no, only three, two C's, CCTVs or something, TVs, and guards everywhere. And I thought, this is like going in a prison. And it was like a prison, it reminded me of a prison. So these guys, very, very wealthy, actually lived in their own private prisons. And they couldn't go anywhere by themselves. Always had to, you know, have somebody take them around. Bodyguards everywhere. And so what type of life is that? And I just remember growing up, small, what was it called? It's a council flat for really poor people in a part of London which, you know, I never knew that this was so many migrants went to my little primary school. You know, there's Africans. I always remember Louis Neville, he was uh, from Jamaica somewhere, really nice friend. There was uh, people over from, uh, from Sri Lanka, I can't remember this guy's name now, but all these uh, from Eastern Europe and from Asia, all these people, I didn't know that in migrant areas were usually the poor areas, but they were my friends. And 
my best friend who was a son of a milkman. So it's not exactly the highest paid job in the world, but he was my friend, my mate. And I just remember just spending so many times, you know, enjoying each other's playing soccer. But I also remember my little apartment. You know, just I'm not quite sure how you can how you can just define this, but and it was only just three or four rooms, really small, and I had to live in the same bedroom with my brother, and sometimes my parents would actually have one of these uh, make your beds. It was just the ladder, it was a sofa which converted into a bed. That's the only place they could really sleep. Very, very small. But it was small, but it was so wonderful because I had to go up with my brother. I had to get on with him. Yeah, we would argue, we would fight. But one thing I learned is how to love somebody. How to, the other thing I always remember was my parents, they were just you know, ordinary people, they would argue and sometimes they would fight and sometimes they wouldn't speak to each other. <laughs> In such a small house that couldn't last that long. And the kids were around as well, we'd start teasing, why aren't you speaking to daddy, mummy? Come on mummy, you can say sorry. And eventually they would make up. They would hug and they would kiss in front of my brother and I. And it was such a special moment. I learned because it was such a small apartment, I learned that we do argue, we do have differences of opinion. We, you know, we see things from a different angle. But, because we had no choice, we were too poor to afford a lawyer. <laughs> so we had to make up. Which, which meant that I saw them just kissing and hugging and saying sorry. I learned such a wonderful teaching from that. Doesn't matter who's right and wrong. We're just after the end, we've got to live together. So we kiss and make up and we enjoy each other's company. So small houses are really, really important. So one of the reasons we have problems and stress, you know, in a place like Perth, our houses are too big. Simple thing, put more people in the house. <laughs> Double up, triple up. Because then you learn how to get on together. And you have this beautiful family, people you can rely upon, people you can talk with. You know sometimes people, I sit there on a Friday evening, people talk about this, they talk about that. I don't know really what you're talking about, but I pretend to. So, oh yeah, really? That happened? Oh wow, yeah? I know sometimes that's all people need just to be you know, recognized and to be, receive some kindness, some love and some respect. And that's what you learn living in a small place. But you know, I just, again I was reminded of this tale because I was just saying it over a dinner, or like lunch rather, before 12 noon. And you know, I do remember once that, it must have been like 9 or 10 or 11, that my, we were, legitimately poor because my father put a one pound note on this shelf above the coal fire. You know, didn't have electric fires, just have coal you know, to keep you warm during the, the really freezing winters. And just mother was sitting down there, the kids were myself and my brother doing homework or something. I don't know how this happened but a, a gust of, of air just took that one pound note and it fell into the fireplace and started burning and my father just tried to get it out, he burnt his hand and my mother just started crying and weeping that was so much for them. So it also taught me now as a monk sometimes I give my other monks a bit of a hard time no, you know, I've got to give the final okay, you want this project, that project because I remember just how much money meant when I was really young. So, wonderful thing to learn, but you didn't need the money because you had this beautiful love and it wasn't stressful. My father did have time to actually to watch his son playing soccer. He did have time just to talk with you and to be with you. That is what we're missing. That's one of the reasons we don't have, well we do have too much stress in this world. 
because we don't have each other. We actually just divided. Big houses, number one, means all in different rooms. How many people do share rooms these days? Even husbands and wives sometimes, that they sleep in different beds. Even they have different rooms. Sometimes they have different houses. <laughs> What's going on? And then, yeah, you don't have anyone to argue with, but you don't have anyone to talk with either. So some of the reasons we have this stress over here is just we're so divided and separated out. And because we have big houses, we have to work so hard to pay the bills. And so because we pay the bills, we don't have time to meet with one another. This is a vicious cycle. So much work needs to be done to pay bills, pay rates, pay this, pay that. And just for a big house where we don't see each other. If we were living in the same house, we don't see each other because we're so busy. Even on the weekend. What are you doing this weekend? How much stuff have you got to do? Can you just chill out this weekend? No, why not? It's your weekend, you're not supposed to work. So, our lifestyle these days is always doing stuff, so much stuff, that we get tired and stressed. And we think we have to get stressed in order to relax. Sometimes we work so hard, so when this is done, when I pay off the mortgage, when my kids leave home, when the work is done on a Friday, then when I pass my exams, when I get the results from my, my tests on Thursday, when, <laughs> whatever it is, when, then I'll be happy. I know sometimes you really, really wonder when do people ever relax? This is, I do travel around a lot, this is a saying which I often have, just been to Hong Kong, Kowloon, Sha Tin, all over the place, and to Singapore as well. These are supposed to be major cities, but in all these places you go and see, it's very rare to see a human being. All you ever see is human goings and doings, never actually being here and enjoying this moment. A weekend, just more work, only a different type of work. So if you really want to overcome the stress of your life, you have to realize that you're addicted to stress, you're afraid of not doing stress. You think that maybe if you relaxed, everything would go wrong in your life. You know, it doesn't go wrong, it's just you don't have heart attacks. It doesn't go wrong, it just means you have more time with the people you love and care for. It doesn't go wrong. Yes, other people think you're really weird. Why is it you've got two weeks holiday and you're just staying at home? Where are you going on the long weekend? Nowhere, I'm just being here. You're crazy. Go down to Margaret River, go down to Bunbury, go down to Bodhinyana Monastery, see the, the monks ASA AGM. What are you doing that for? <laughs> if you really want to see it, we'll video it for you. So you can see it at home. I can't understand why people travel around. People ask me. It's mostly actually the Thai people. Are they here? No, okay, good. They asked me before I left, they said, you're going to Hong Kong? What are you going to Hong Kong for? You're going shopping? <laughs> shopping? What do you want to go shopping for? <laughs> do you like going shopping? Why? No, number one, I'm a monk. Number two, I'm a man. So shopping to me is just, I just, you know, just weird. <laughs> Well, you know, you have to go through these airports, and in the airports, they're just shopping centers these days. You can't bypass them. And you get all these things which I remember just walking just in Hong Kong. And all the shops which I saw were either um, clothes shop, mostly women's clothes, shoe shops, or food. And I said, well, where's the monk's shops? You know, can I get a Versace robe? <laughs> 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 a Gucci beanie. <laughs> they didn't have any mug shops there. <laughs> How many clothes do you need? A nice thing about living a simple life. It is great being a simple monk. 
this, this is actually just, this is my baggage. It's actually just about all this, uh, what have I taken out? I don't know if I've taken out, but about this. Every time I come back to Perth Airport, it's brilliant. You know, the guys know me there. You now they call me Abbott. So the guy this afternoon said, Abbott, you're, you're, you're back again. He said, you should have your own aircraft by now, he told me this afternoon. And I said, if I did, you'd be out of a job. He said, oh, yeah, that's true. So off we go. So he just walked, strolled through, you know, because you haven't got enough to search. <laughs> so simplicity is a way to overcome stress. But why do we have so much stuff? Just in case. We worry so much about the future, what might happen. Uh, yeah, what might happen? You don't have to worry about anything. Because, again, I think last two weeks ago, and especially just last week, because Chinese Year of the Dog. So I have to quote the great American philosopher, Snoopy. <laughs> and it's true, I mean, these little animals, are the sort of stuff you get from the cartoons are just simple, profound and everybody could understand it. You just what you know, just you just read Nietzsche or Wittgenstein and it just you know, screws up your head. You don't know what he's up to after a while. But anyway, Snoopy is really profound and easy to understand. One of the things he said, which I was talking about was he said that worrying about things never stops bad things happening. If you worry about it, you don't worry about it, bad things happen anyway, but it stops you enjoying the present. Why are you worrying about things? You're destroying your weekend, destroying being here. So it's not the fact you've got lots of things to worry about. Let other people do the worrying for you. Why not? That's what the government is for, to do the worrying. <laughs> your job is just to do the enjoying. That's what you pay your taxes for. So, <laughs> you <laughs> refuse to worry on the weekend. Or if you have a weekend jobs, then if you, if, you know, don't worry on Monday or Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday, Friday, whatever. So, you know that reminds me of that story. Ah, you know, these things come up, monks know all these stories. And listen, if you complain about me telling the same stories over and over and over again, I have to hear them more than anybody. <laughs> so I know these stories, but anyway. So this is the, the, the migrant who came to Australia. And even though he was well educated, had lots of qualifications, and when you come to a place like Australia, your qualifications don't mean anything. And I'm a bit worried about that, because you know, now you have to have a qualification to teach mindfulness. You've got to be accredited. You've got to go to a course and get a certificate. So it's only a matter of time when I won't be allowed to teach meditation because I haven't gone to a course. I've taught the people who teach the courses, but I haven't done the course myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's really weird, isn't it? <laughs> this actually happened. I remember, uh, he's not here this evening. Uh, he was the, the chief psychiatrist you know, some years ago over at the Greylands Hospital, you know, one of our members here. And he told me the story that, oh, over in Sydney University, I think it was, not the same as Western Australia, Western Australia is with more, but over in Sydney, it's absolutely ridiculous. They had this teacher, this expert, this professor of psychiatry coming over to Sydney University to lecture for one year. But because he was teaching psychiatry, he had to be a member of the Royal College of Psychiatrists, which means that his qualifications in the United States counted for nothing. He had to do an exam here in Sydney, in Australia, so he could teach. And they gave him two books to study on which they would test him. And when they gave him these two books, the first one, he told his examiner, what's this? He said, well, you've got to study it. Whose name is on that? It's me. I wrote that book. 
but he still had to study it and pass it. I think he passed the exam on his own book. That's going to happen to me, I'm sure. To be able to teach in this joint, you're going to have to mindfulness, bliss and beyond and stuff like that. Open the door of your heart, they're going to give me a test on it. And I wrote the flipping thing. But anyway, that's the stupidity of our world these days. But anyway, let's go back to not stressing out. But just all these things that, you know, that uh, we, the future, we can't plan. And the past. Oh, come on. Why do we linger? on the past. That's what causes our stress. Remember stress is like the guitar string pulled on both directions. To have stress you've got to have something pulling it. If you let go nothing is pulling. Things relax and there's no stress anymore. So what actually is pulling you? Making you feel stressed? It's fear, mostly of the future. What might happen? What will people think of me? That's one of the great experiences I had coming to Australia as a monk. Was it how many years ago now? 33, 34 years ago. And 34 years ago now coming to Australia. It was actually WASAC time. So it's almost coming up to that time, my 34th anniversary here in Australia. When you first came here, you know, people took one look at you. They'd never seen a Buddhist monk in the streets. So sometimes they wondered, you know, what are you wearing that for? And I still remember the first place before we got this place here in Nolamara, we had a little house in 4 Magnolia Street in North Perth. And I was working so hard we would work over in Bodhinyana Monastery Serpentine five days a week and on the weekend we'd go to this little house which was, you could actually sleep there and you could have a hot shower over there in Bodhinyana Monastery. You get buckets and throw them over from the dam, throw them over yourself in the evening to wash and it was so cold, the wind was blowing the water was chilly and you, you really knew how to wash very quickly. But anyhow, on the weekend, on Sunday night, on Monday morning, we'd pack up all the, we got all of the stuff to take down to Serpentine, the monastery, where we built it. And I still remember just packing up on Sunday afternoon, evening, putting up this big, you know, the old combi vans, the VWs, oh, those were really, really good. We packed up so much stuff in that combi van. I remember going to the old wood yard at Jarradale. You used to have a big timber yard there. We get the timber just you know, uh, fresh, sawn, and we go around the back way, the long way around, because our little van was so overloaded. Right on the inside there, absolutely jam-packed, on the roof as well, really high. If ever you've seen, I remember seeing on the, on the, the uh, where was that, I think in Indonesia, the Mr. Bean sketch where he had a little car and he packed everything really up the top there. That was like us. And I remember after we packed all this in our combi van, the head of the, the timber mill said, you guys must do a lot of praying to get that back to where you belong. Yeah. <laughs> and it was true, but anyway, when we were packing up in North Perth, this little 14-year-old girl came out, roughly about 14. She was visiting her grandma in the house next door and she came up and looked at me with all the disgust only a teenage girl can actually give. And she had her hands on her hips and looked me up and down. I can't do disgust, but you know, really. And she said, looked at me and said, you're dressed like a girl. That's sick. <laughs> And she was really trying to upset me because you can, see, you can see her point. You know, you're wearing a skirt and a bald head, but girls don't wear bald heads. I must have a beanie on or something. But anyway, she was really disgusted. I thought it was just so funny. So anyway, just we were just you know, having to just... Or oh, the other time when I was visiting a cousin. Remember the cousin? He actually came here to visit many years ago in Stoke-on-Trent. That's where he lived. And so... Now you're going there spending time with your loved ones, with your old friends, so 
Yeah, instead of staying in here and meditating, we went for a walk. Walk on a Sunday morning, it was a beautiful day, walking down the streets, and I don't know what it is about me, it must have some sort of charisma, but people were pointing at me and smiling and laughing. And I just making people laugh is a great is a great skill. But it was actually more people pointing and laughing at me than usual. And so I didn't really wonder know what was going on. Well, you know, well, you know, was I'm badly dressed or something or but no, they were just laughing at me all the time. And then when we turned the corner I found out why. There was this big billboard, a big sign. The circus was in town. And they thought I must have been one of the clowns. <laughs> and I didn't mind, make people happy, it was fine by me. So anyway, just sometimes, the, what do people think of you? Do you really care? What does your boss think of you? What does your, your friends think of you? And sometimes we're just so afraid of our reputation, what other people think of us, that we have to be fashionable, we have to have good clothes, we have to just you know, fit in. Uh, that's another little memory of mine. When I was really into rock music when I was young, and used to have these big concerts. I remember going to the, the Isle of Wight Rock Festival, 1970. So the famous rock festival. And I had to be cool. So I had green velvet jeans. And when I went down there, I found, I thought I was being rebellious. I thought I was being individual. I thought I was just, just rebelling against convention, setting a new style. And when I went down there, I found thousands of other people had green velvet jeans. <laughs> it is another type of uniform. So, instead of worrying what other people think of you, you can actually be free of that. Be someone who is at peace with yourself. Too much that people are worried about their appearances or, again, how they come across to other people. For goodness sake, what other people like is not your hairstyle. You know, this used to be really weird, now it's really common. Don't know how many people copy monks. When I was <laughs> we, we, some of us have patches in our robes. You've got patches in your robe, haven't you? You've got lots of patches in his robe. You see, we're really fashionable. <laughs> Fashion leaders, trendsetters. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, just because we don't really care and worry what other people think of us, we can relax, we can be happy, we can be at peace. And that is why people like you. What people like to, to hang around with is like people are relaxed, confident, at peace with themselves, at ease with themselves. So if you want to be fashionable, if you want to be attractive, if you want people to think well of you, relax, be confident, smile more. So, such a simple teaching, even last night, somebody was saying she's heard me in Singapore, they heard me giving all these talks but still she's anxious and depressed and sometimes that she sleeps in in the morning because she's afraid of getting out of bed and going to work. And it's so easy, solution. Just because it's simple does not mean it doesn't work. Simple, powerful. Because this is what I was taught for two years by a meditation teacher while I was still a student. He said, when you get up in the morning, what do you do? And go to the toilet. Great. Is there a mirror in your toilet? Of course there's a mirror in the toilet. And my teacher told me, I want you to look at yourself in the mirror and smile at yourself. And I told my teacher, get real. I'm a student. You know, you look at teenagers or 20 year olds. What do they look like in the morning? <laughs> really grumpy, miserable, bleh. Especially, you know, you've been drinking alcohol, staying up late at night, like I used to do in those days. I said, sir, if I looked at myself in the mirror in the morning, first thing, I'd probably scream. <laughs> and he said, smile at yourself, impossible. And that's when he told me, thank 
this great teacher, simple, two fingers and push up. That's what he taught me. And so I did that for two years. Two years, I followed that. And every morning, you got up there, and I looked at the mirror, and put my two fingers up, and I saw this stupid young man smiling, making a face in the mirror. And when you, t when you do that, you know, if I make a face, yeah, it's working, you're smiling now. You do that to yourself every morning, you don't need anybody. And then after a while, you smile, 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 and I started laughing at myself. I laughed at myself every morning for two years. And this, this is it's kind of stuck now. <laughs> Which means that, yeah, you didn't feel good. You, know, you felt tired, bit of a hangover, busy day, social life, but I could smile every morning. That was incredible for making you healthy. Incredible for attracting really hot girlfriends. It was, I liked people smiling. It was great for passing exams. It was even great, I learned this, okay, when I was playing sport. I did actually play sport every now and again. I don't know why I did this, actually, because they had, you know, the, in Cambridge you have the boats, the eights. I never did the boat race, that was just too ridiculous, you know, you don't, that was just too full on. But I did just ordinary racing. And just in the boat, you know, racing, pulling this oar, and long way. And after a while, it was really hard. And I wasn't really into to getting fit, you know, just, you know, just a bit of fun, a bit of exercise, but not super fit. So, you know what happened? There was a little coach. The coach was on his bicycle, he had a megaphone, and he shouted out at me. He said, you're making an ugly face, smile. And when you're really struggling physically, of course you do make ugly faces. And I learned something great from that coach, worthwhile all of that, you know, doing the, uh, the training for, for rowing in an eight. And what I learned that when you smile, the awe is so easy to pull. I got a boost of energy, pain just dissipated, I smiled and the awe had more energy. And that was such an important little teaching. Ask any psychologist, that, even doctors, I don't know how it works, if you've got a really, really hard walk, you're cycling, you're running, you're exercising, you're at work and just, you, know, you have a really important meeting, smile. <laughs> and then your boss will not know what you're up to. <laughs> smile, I don't know what you think. Damn him, he knows something I don't. What's he up to? <laughs> that smiling is so important, so easy. That takes away your stress. Even little things like doing exams and tests, interviews. You smile. Because people like people who smile. If you're hiring somebody, you're going to employ somebody at work. Are you going to employ someone who's just got a miserable face, a sour puss? You've got enough of them back at home. When you're at work, <laughs> you, want, <laughs> you want somebody who's uplifting, smiling. And it changes the whole workplace and you don't get so stressed because when you are smiling, enjoying this moment, you don't have to worry about what's going to happen in the future. This is something which the Buddha said, the only reason why you think about the future is because you're not enjoying the present. If you can even just be and enjoy this moment which you have right now, smile at it, you don't need to worry about the future. Worrying about the future is not being responsible, it's actually escaping. Because you're not here, you're not enjoying this moment. And some people say, well, you know, this moment is not really good. I've got aches, pains, things are going wrong, it doesn't matter. This is all you've got. So when you're worried, when all the, the worry about the future doesn't stop bad things happening, it just stops you enjoying what you already have right now. Snoopy. Ajahn Snoopy. 
the great master <laughs> who lived in a little dog house, ate out of a bowl. I live in a bigger house, not that much bigger, called a kuti or a cave. But I eat out of a bowl, just like Snoopy, and I go for a walk every Saturday morning. It's called Arms Round. <laughs> but this is actually how we can learn to overcome the stress in life. It doesn't mean that you have to do or give up your job. It doesn't mean you have to give up your partner. It doesn't mean you have to give up your kids and you know, uh, ordain them. You know what people do? I saw through this scam. It's a scam because, well, it's not really a scam, but I call it a scam. Because when it came to holiday times in places like Malaysia, sometimes in Thailand, they would get their children to actually spend two or three weeks in a monastery ordaining as a, a novice monk or even novice nuns. Wonderful thing. So we could take your children two or three weeks, they ordain as a novice, we train them, discipline them, feed them, and they come home much nicer kids. At the same time, you've got two or three weeks we can go on a holiday or visit your homeland knowing that your children are really well looked after and you don't have anything to worry. Free childcare. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> just, so we have to look after your little, I won't call them little monsters, but, but no, they're very nice little kids. But anyway, so, why do you just stay with the people you are with? They're good enough, your kids. Spend time with them. Just like my father spent time with me, just watching a football match. It's amazing just how I remembered that. Unless I cherish that. These are the things which you teach your children. The things which you learn from your partner in life. You don't look at what goes wrong in life. Think of all the times you've had a wonderful evening. If you've got a partner and you've had a wonderful time together, please keep thinking about that. Why? Why did that work? Why did you have a wonderful time with her or him? When it all goes wrong, please forget about that. Because you learn from successes, not learn from mistakes. This is an important part of having no stress. But apparently, I know I teach this in businesses, go all these businesses, not just LinkedIn and Google and other stuff. But you know what happens? Is that when anything goes wrong, we keep on having meeting after meeting after meeting, it went wrong, it shouldn't have gone wrong, why did it go wrong? You're to blame, out, you know, your mistake, out, you know. When things go wrong, just forget about it. Don't blame anybody, but when things go right, that is when to have the meetings. Why did it go right? And who was responsible? Me, 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 me. <laughs> and we learn from what goes right in life. We learn not from stress, but those moments when you don't have stress. We have a beautiful evening, a beautiful day, a beautiful weekend. We learn not from the negative, from the positive. Which is one of the reasons why somebody once asked me, well, I don't know, what, what that time what's the difference between letting go and letting be? Letting go is just letting go of complaining and controlling, letting go of fear. When you let go of all of that, what's left? That's when you let things be. But sometimes you can just look at let it be. Just let this weekend be. And if you are peaceful and happy, if you smile at your kids, instead of complaining about them, spend time with them, connect with them, connect with yourself, connect with the weekend, connect with your body so you can feel healthy, connect with your mind, it needs peace, it needs rest. Then you find you can be so efficient in this world, you get so much done, but without any stress. I am a high achiever monk. There's so many organizations, it's not just Buddhist Society of West Australia. It is over in Hong Kong, it's called BIF. 
Bodhinyana International Foundation. And the people there are called Biffers. <laughs> I made them Biffers. And they're doing really amazing just how much stuff which I do over there, how many people come to the talks in the newspapers and just videos and goodness knows in universities and uh, where else did I go? Not just LinkedIn. The Foreign Correspondents Club, which is really cool. All these people, just, they keep coming back. And you enjoy yourself. And you give. And it works. And Singapore, there's two groups over there, Brahm Center and, and a Buddhist Fellowship. They're flourishing. Don't know how many talks, how many people did I talk last night? About two or three thousand people. And I was wondering, this was on a, a Thursday night in Singapore, they just so many, they, they were giving up their, their evening meal straight from work, straight to the talk. For three hours they were there. Amazing, just. So I have all that responsibility. All those groups, group over in England, group over in, got the, the Brahms Center. You know, Brahms Society in Colombo. I got the Ahi Pasako, that's the, my group over in Indonesia. Got all these different things, ASA, Australia Sangha Association, monks and nuns in, from all over, all traditions over in um, coming this weekend. You got the Buddhist Society of Victoria, that's on their spiritual advisor. So many advisors, so many things to do. Ah! But do I look stressed? So, <laughs> you smile. So sometimes I get tired, but even just coming over a long flight, not that long, but I had to get up early in the morning to actually get the plane and just come back here. And then this is how you deal with life. No stress, both ends loose, happy, smiling, and resilience. Something like that goes wrong, you don't get angry. When this guitar string has no tension, something hits it, something goes wrong. You get fined by the police, somebody uh, hits your car, people say things you don't want. You get a letter from the police or a letter from the tax office or something. When things go wrong, it's only because we're so stressed, we've got no resilience. Guitar string fully stretched, ping, and it makes a really high pitched, really nasty sound. You've got no stress at all. Guitar string fully loose, ping, doesn't make any noise at all. You don't react when you're relaxed. When you're tense, when you're just so tight, just one more thing, just one more thing, you just say one more thing, and then you explode. That is where our anger comes from. From stress to anger, we destroy so much from anger. So much of our friendships, ourselves, even our world. So, de-stress, easy. And the fellow is coming with the, the, um, the pad and the microphone, so I know, so he doesn't stress out, we'll finish now. So let's have some questions. So, sadhu, 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 here we go. Sadhu, sadhu, big one. Sadhu. <laughs> That's out of distress. Okay, let's see what complaints we've got over here. Probably from all the psychiatrists and stress therapists, I'm putting them out of business. From Stephanie, what is the best way to overcome panic attacks? I have suffered for 18 years, my entire life has been this, and it saddens me greatly. From panic attacks, one of my friends who was a monk many years ago, he was in the US Marines in the Vietnam War. He had, because he was shot in the back of the head, and he had some brain damage, otherwise he's a wonderful monk, very kind, but he had epileptic fits because of the injury, being shot in the, in the head. How he dealt with those epileptic fits, similar way to overcome the panic attacks. 
because he was aware, mindful, he could actually catch those fits earlier and earlier and earlier. He could see the signs. He could be aware to see how it worked. Because the fits never just came out of the blue. They had the you know, introduction, the, the little bits getting more tense, more tense. He could actually feel it coming. So it took for a couple of years before he could catch it early enough that he could take another path. Relax, he used to go to his room, darken the room, just lay down and just relax as much as he could. And then, after a while, no more epileptic fits. He used mindfulness to see the whole process of a fit happening. Even panic attacks. They don't just come out of the blue. You may think they do, but if you're more aware, you can actually see the process when they start to build and build and build and build. And if you can catch them early, you can find another path. So you don't go down that same habitual route of panic attacks. That's one of the great things about awareness. It gives you the feedback. It gives you alternatives. So you're not just a creature of habit. You can explore and do things differently. From the Philippines, what if, <laughs> what if the stress you're experiencing is coming from the president of your country and his supporters? I try not to be involved, but I can't stand not to care. Well, even our Buddhist society in West Australia, we have a president, but <laughs> he's a good friend. So the stress of your country, if there's something to do, then do it. Give everything you've got. Oh, don't want to go. So he's getting stressed. So, but if there's something you can do, then do it. Yeah, but that's what kids are like. You know, the kids are like that, same as presidents. <laughs> What's they say, the old saying about politicians are like newborn babies? They have, or like the nappies of newborn babies, they have to be changed regularly. <laughs> but that, that's, you're the exception, Mr. President. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, you, from the, if you, this is a, a poem from William Blake. It, this was a really long poem, it has different parts of this poem. Part of that poem, I often quote, to see a world in a grain of sand, a heaven in a wildflower, hold infinity in the palm of your hand, eternity in an hour. That is really about mindfulness and the joy of it. But also, um, he wrote that vengeance to the tyrant fled and caught the tyrant in his bed and slew the wicked tyrant's head and became a tyrant in his stead. And that was just in the 17th century. That's what happens. People go into such politics, especially peasants of country, and many people actually go into that position. They go in there trying to do some good. But sometimes the old saying of power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts, absolutely. That was Lord Acton, because that was, you know, he apparently that in the suburb where I grew up, that was actually where and that was Acton, that was, he had his big mansion there. But that's a long time ago. But that's power, corruption. But if you use violence, and you get angry and stress to try and get rid of those presidents, you become the same. They bring you down to their level. That's been our history of our world overthrowing tyrants, and then we installed another tyrant. Is there another way? From the USA, according to Buddhism, our stress and trauma forms a spiritual pathology, or something that needs to be acknowledged and contemplated first. How does one come to truly let go instead of simply suppressing the difficult emotions? This is just like mistakes in life, I often say this, you acknowledge mistakes 
You acknowledge them first of all, forgive them. You don't make the mistake, another reason for feeling bad about yourself, which is where we get suppressing from. Acknowledge it, forgive it. There's, look, there's nothing wrong with this, nothing evil. It's not against the precepts to be. It's not against the law. You don't get put in jail for being stressed. You get put in hospital. <laughs> so first of all, you acknowledge it. And forgiving it is, means you just don't punish. Punishment is one of the terrible things which causes more stress in this world. If someone asked me in Hong Kong, do you believe in punishment? I said, just no. A really absolute, definite answer which was quite shocking to them. What about really bad people? Look, punishment just makes them worse. And when I was punished, all I, all I learned when I was punished at school for making a mistake was to make sure I don't get caught next time. It was just like learn how to be more smart and sneaky. So punishment never worked for me, but acknowledgement, forgiven, it's part of life to make mistakes. And even stress and trauma, mistakes happen in life. The, you know, the, the, the dog shit for the mango tree. But we learn from it. It's a learning which is a growth in spirituality. Stress and trauma, it happens. We have to learn from it. Not contemplated. Contemplate too much thinking. Explored. Understood. Really just gone right into. So we understand how it works. Just like I said with that panic attacks. Or with a guy with, who had the, the epileptic fits. Explore it. Understand it. And once you have understand it, you have power over it. It's not the best metaphor, but in the Chinese art of war, know the enemy, know thyself, thousand battles fought, thousand battles won. That was a military thing, but the reason it became famous because that is about our life. You know, you've got like stress, trauma, our enemy. So know the enemy, know yourself, thousands bet battles won. So a thousand battles fought, a thousand battles won. That's how we overcome these things. Through wisdom, through understanding. But not contemplating, contemplating thinking. Thinking goes around, it's like an, a, a moon, a satellite, it orbits the problem. It thinks around things. To actually explore it, you have to go into it. Not, uh, not escaping from it, but going towards it. So anyway, any questions from the floor? Great. Oh, there was one. Was there? No? Yeah? Uh-oh, okay. Um, I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about um, forgiving yourself from mistakes from the past. Mm -hmm. Like being kind to yourself about that. If you could elaborate a little bit, that'd be great. Oh, it's, no, it, mistakes from the past are just so much fun. It, honestly, because when we mention our mistakes, people remember that, and it's, it's good fun. People, look, what's a nice, there's uh, many mistakes. When I was doing a funeral service, I got Chinese culture in my mind right now because of uh, just being in Hong Kong. So when I was in, um, was, uh, first came over here, there was a Chinese Buddhist family and uh, somebody, no, actually no, it wasn't Chinese, this was actually Sri Lankan. I remember now, this, uh, one of the Sri Lankan men who comes here, they said one of their family had died and they were doing the funeral service uh, in Rockaby Road, there's a funeral parlor there. So I went over there and, uh, you know, just uh, uh, started a service, welcome everybody. You know, you've been to funeral services before, welcome everybody, I welcome everybody and it's uh, uh, to, to do the Buddhist funeral service for the, the, uh, the mother of uh, my friend over here, sort of, uh, Ranjan or something, uh, whose uh, mother just passed away. And that's just how I started and that point this old lady at the front stood up, interrupted me, 
And he, she looked at me and said, It's not me who died, it's my husband. <laughs> I'm still alive. Nothing wrong with me. <laughs> and that was the end of being serious at that funeral ceremony. <laughs> it's wonderful, you make a mistake like that. And I'm not, you'd all heard the joke about you know, the funeral directors you know, who couldn't find the gravesite. They lost the plot. But that actually happened to me once, I think in Guildford Cemetery. And just, you know, we were doing the procession from the gate. And when they were going, and just you now we were going in the front then, and the hearse was following myself and the funeral director, and then all the mourners behind. And they were going, and I said, you know, this is a long way. He said, yeah, I don't know where it is. <laughs> and we looked over there, maybe about 300 meters away, and the people were waving at us. And it's over here. <laughs> It does happen. I remember just, oh, these great jokes about funerals. One of the friends over in uh, Sydney, he was a funeral director before, and he said, sometimes, sometimes they actually do go to the wrong cemetery. So, you know, they've got you know, two funerals. One is at Fremantle, one is at Pinaroo. When they arrived there, they said, oh, we should be at, Fu at Fremantle. Yeah, you should be at Pinaroo. <laughs> All the time, when they had to collect the bodies, you know, and said, and so just to be able to to get enough, you know, to make it worthwhile, they had actually three, three uh, bodies in the back of the hearse once. They're just taking it to the funeral parlour, not the actual funeral. When they took it there, they, you know, some of the people, you know, a bit sort of, well, you know, just um, uh, overweight, and they had three really heavy people, and so the poor hearse. It was actually so heavy in the back, the metal of the front back bumper was actually scraping on the, the picture mirror. And you can't actually stop and unload somebody and pick them up later. So they're in big trouble there. Or oh, the other guy, they installed, this was in New York or San Francisco somewhere. You know they have these, these lanes for two or more people. You know, so you know, because you know, so many people drive their cars, only a single person in the car. And that's what causes lots of traffic. And so some jurisdictions, they have lanes, especially two or more people. And then, policemen stopped a funeral hearse. There's only one driver in there. And the, actually, the, the driver took the police to court. He you know, said, well, I had the guy in the back. That makes two. <laughs> <laughs> and he lost his case. Some judges don't have a sense of humor. But anyway. Okay, so hopefully that answers the questions. It's getting a bit late. So I just, that's uh, now about every space of the Buddha time and the Sangha. And then we can actually go and do whatever we need to do. Sankan 